The election's only debate between the candidates for the second congressional district wrapped up a few hours ago, right here in our studio. Republican Congresswoman Yvette Harrell and her Democratic challenger, former Las Cruces City Councilor Gabe Vasquez, took a lot of questions on the border, on vaccines and abortion, election security, and more topics. Tessa Mendes and Matt Grubbs moderated once again here. Matt joins us in studio. So Matt, these candidates are pretty far apart. They are in some ways running toward the center in a district that has Trump supporting Republicans and also progressive Democrats. And Tommy, those have been the positions these two have really carved out for themselves. But to get elected in the redrawn CD2, you need more than just your base to vote for you. For me tonight, there were clear differences right from our first question on border policy, where Yvette Harrell stressed U.S. sovereignty and Gabe Vasquez argued for a more consistent and what he said would be a more humane policy. I'm Damian Willis, and this is the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're doing something a little bit different. I'll be talking to Walt Rubel, a longtime reporter and editor in Southern New Mexico who has covered New Mexico politics for many years, and many of those at the Las Cruces Sun News. We're talking about the 2022 midterm elections, redistricting, and some of the state's biggest offices up for grabs. We should note, this podcast was recorded Saturday, November 5th. This week, we're grateful to be joined by Walt. First, Walt, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Let's start out just by taking the 30,000 foot view of this election cycle. What big picture issues do you think have done the most to define this year's races in New Mexico? Well, I I think uh, there have been four, really. And I don't think New Mexico is unique. I I think um, these are the issues that are translating here as well as nationwide. On the Republican side, it has been the economy and inflation and crime. I think those are the two issues that they're really trying to hammer home that under democratic leadership, we've seen an increase uh, in the price of everything and and an increase in crime. And I think uh, to be honest on the crime issue, there are some uh, kind of seemly undertones to a lot of that. Uh, It seems like they're a lot more worried about crime that's committed by uh, people of minorities And I I can't remember the last advertising I saw about uh, a crime that had been committed by by a white man. I mean, it just is is very consistent in who they're concerned about. So as we get closer to the midterm elections, the attack ads are definitely intensifying. And Ryan Laughlin is taking a closer look at a new attack ad that's coming over your TVs. And Ryan, uh, it includes part of one of your recent reports. Yes, it does. And this all stems from the case of Christopher Beltran. Beltran was uh, highlighted in an attack ad made by the Republican Governor's Association. He killed his girlfriend after getting released from prison. We identified an inaccuracy with the Republicans' ad and now are reporting as part of a new ad produced by a group with ties to the Democratic Governor's Association. So those are the two issues on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, I think the two issues that they have been trying to to hammer home 
our um, women's reproductive rights in light of the recent Supreme Court uh, ruling on that. And then the other one is just this idea that democracy itself is on the ballot uh, following January 6th and every, everything we've seen since then, um, including here in New Mexico, uh, we can get to a little bit later. But uh, we saw in Otero County, just our neighbors uh, to the east, where they refused to certify the results of the uh, primary election, even though all of their favored candidates won. Uh, so, you know, I, I think those are the big issues. The other thing I would say is that in every midterm election it is uh, in some cases a, a referendum on whoever's in power. And typically the American voters are never happy. And so uh, historically, uh, midterm elections have been an opportunity to recalibrate, uh, to tell whoever's in power, we're not happy with what you did, and we want somebody else to try to do it differently. And so I think that hangs sure. over every midterm election, this one included. How do you think this election cycle stacks up against the previous midterms in uh, 2018? Well, I think the one thing that we're seeing that's consistent is high voter turnout. Uh, which uh, historically we have not had in midterm elections. Uh, 2018, obviously, there was huge motivation uh, two years after the election of, of Donald Trump, uh, and there was an enormous blue void last, uh, that year. Um, I think the, the motivation on the Republican side you know, against Joe Biden is probably not as strong but I think, you know, the, the historic trends will probably be the same that uh, I don't think we're going to see a, a red wave this year. But I do think with the House and Senate being so close uh, going into the election that the Republicans don't need a wave. They, they just need a little bit of a, a trickle, a ripple. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, what role do you see Southern New Mexico playing in this year's election? Uh, less than ever before, to be honest with you. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of redistricting. Uh, we used to have CD2 all to ourselves. And now that is being split. Uh, a lot of, and, and I think the split is going to Albuquerque, to be honest, uh, because those are candidates who are well known here. They, they're not well known in Albuquerque. And so that's where they're spending their time. And we've always had this situation where uh, not just the big population centers are up north, but also the TV market. And because of and, and on top of all of that, it seems like in the gubernatorial race, uh, Mark Ronchetti made a decision when he was running against Rebecca Dow, who's very well known here in southern New Mexico and I, I think well respected. And he kind of made the decision that he could win without us. And it, it seems to an extent like, um, you know, certainly we've had some advertising, but I, I haven't we, we haven't seen a lot of visits from the candidate uh, from either candidate, to be honest. And, right. and I just think that, um, you know, we, we always have it difficult, but at least in the past, we had one congressional district to ourselves, and now we don't. And so I think all of those combined mean that they, they really aren't paying as much attention to us as they have in the past. And, and that doesn't bode well, I, I, I think, for, you know, when they actually do get in office, uh, 
will they pay attention to us then? Right, exactly. In your analysis, how has redistricting changed the face of CD2? We, You mentioned, you know, that it now includes parts of Albuquerque's South Valley, which is predominantly Hispanic, very, very Hispanic. It's also more more urban, uh, although there is an, an agricultural element uh, down down in that part of Albuquerque. Overall, what do you what do you think the the face of CD two looks like? How how is how is that changing with redistricting? Yeah, I should be real clear on this one. I I, I think what the Democrats in the Senate did was gerrymandering, pure and simple. And so, you know, what they did was they took the Republican stronghold of what is known as Little Texas, uh, Roswell, Carlsbad, Hobbs, um, Alamogordo, that area. Artesia. Yeah. Artesia. Yeah. Which put Steve Pierce in office year after year after year after year. And, And they took that stronghold and broke it into three parts, which is the textbook definition of gerrymandering. And so if they were successful, what it will mean is that Gabe Vasquez will win and that that seat will switch from being Republican to Democrat. And I, and I hate to be so crass about it, but, you know, all of this stuff about uh, and the other thing that I am very, very concerned about. And I mentioned this. Um, we, we had Joseph Cervantes on our radio show on community radio, um, who was he basically wrote this map, drew this map. Um, and my concern was we could end up with a situation where all three New Mexico senators live in, not senators, representatives, live in the Albuquerque metro area. And I think that would be horrible for southern New Mexico. And and basically his response was, well, you know, if they were a Democrat, they would at least be more in tune to our values than a Republican from Alamogordo is. So, huh. um you know, it, like I said, it, it, in, in my opinion, the way it changes it demographically, you're you're exactly right. But I just can't get beyond the raw politics of it. Um, the, the the way it was intended to change it was it was intended to flip the seat from Republicans to Democrats. And Brian Agolf, the the Speaker of the House the Legislature, made that very clear when he was asked uh, when Yvette Harrell beat Sochi Torres uh, Small in the last election. Uh, his response was, well, we'll see how that works after redistricting. So, you know, right. I, I, right. When you look at the gubernatorial race between Democratic incumbent Michelle Luan Grisham and uh, Republican challenger uh, Mark Ronchetti, what stands out the most? You know, I, I think in that one, it, it's clear that uh, Ron Ketty is I, I saw one of the two debates. I thought he did very well. I, I think he does well on his TV commercials. Um, you know, obviously being a, a, a TV weatherman has given him, you know, he's so telegenic, he's, he's poised, he did well in the debate, he thinks well on his feet. I, I think his position on abortion has really hampered him a great deal. Um, you know, he has tried to come up with this middle-of-the-road position of we'll put it to a vote. And I don't think that's going to satisfy anybody. I mean, from my perspective, the obvious response to that is, well, OK, you know, what other health procedures that I may be considering do you want my neighbors to be able to weigh in on? It's also. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's also been kind of muddied for him 
because there is the the back and forth between him and the pastor um, of uh, Legacy Church in Albuquerque about what he actually believes. Oh, and I don't think there's any question as to what he believes. I mean, if 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 there wasn't politics involved and it was simply his choice, I, you know, now in terms of exceptions for rape and incest, I don't know about that, but. But uh, yes, he he is pro-life very staunchly, and and he is trying to walk a tightrope on that, and and not doing it very well. The, the other thing I'll say about that race that I'm a little bit surprised about, if I were advising the Ron Ketty campaign, I would really have been hammering home the COVID restrictions, the school shutdowns. I really thought Lujan Grisham went farther on that than almost any governor in the country um, and upset a lot of uh a lot of people who will be voting this year myself included <laughs> uh, so yeah uh, if i were in his shoes i would have hammered that a lot more and I'm, I'm not sure why he did but but it really hasn't been a big part of his campaign right you uh you mentioned the the debates um what role do you think they've played both uh, in the race for governor and the House races? We've we've seen a few of those televised de- debates now. You know, it's hard for me to say because, it, we, you know, most of those haven't been televised here. So in Albuquerque and Santa Fe, maybe there was a buzz the day after the debate, but that certainly wasn't the case here. And and on top of that, it it didn't seem to me like there were any game changers, there were any gotchas, there were any there there weren't any big moments where you thought, boy, this could really swing the momentum or make a difference. I, I think everybody just kind of got up there and and recited their talking points, and you know you could judge it as a debate judge, but in terms of did it swing, did any of them swing many votes? I I really don't think they did. Right. It seems like there's been a tremendous amount of negative advertising in just about all of the uh, top of the ticket races specifically. What is your perception of that? It seems like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, there has been nothing. Well, I, I shouldn't say nothing, but there's probably been one positive ad for every 15 negative ads. You know, I guess my sense is that I think they have diminishing value, especially after two years ago, where the race between Yvette Harrell and Sochi uh, Torres Small was, I think, the the most expensive race in Congress that year. Uh, just a flood of money that year that was all spent on negative advertising. And, and at least speaking for myself, I know I got desensitized to it after a while. And, and I am to the point, I'll, I'll say this, I'm really looking forward to this Tuesday. As soon as a, a political ad comes on, it's just grating to my ear at this point. And I immediately rush to find the remote. <laughs> the, the mute button. Yeah. And, and, and the mailers, I mean, I don't even give them a second look anymore. They just immediately go into the recycling. So. I was joking with somebody the other day saying uh, how, how grateful I am that I now have two trash trash bins, but uh, one of them doubles as my mailbox. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So, you know, there there has been a ton of it. And um, but I have to think that people are pretty savvy that they know. 
that uh, the, the one that stands out to me was is they took a, a clip of Gabe Vasquez that was clearly edited out of context. And when I say they, I should be clear, it wasn't Yvette Harrell's campaign that did that. This is all outside PACs, not, you know, not all, but the vast majority of the negative ads are from outside PACs, and this one was, uh, where it was clearly selectively edited for him to say, you know, yes, I support defund the police. And there was obviously a but coming after that, that, that we didn't get to hear. So I, you know, I, I just think people are savvy to that. And, and I hope that, uh, that, that, that they don't have the same impact that they used to. Right. President Biden was in Albuquerque Thursday stumping for uh, top of the ticket Dems. Do you think, um, given the approval ratings and such, do you think that that will help or will it hurt? It's an interesting question. Um, and it's also interesting to me that he chose to come to New Mexico and, and California. A three-day swing will take the president to areas where Democrats already hold seats. The decision to have him spend most of his pre-midterm time boosting incumbents illustrates the president's limited political clout and suggests he's decided he can be most effective shoring up Democrats in areas he easily won two years ago. Obviously, you know. Which are, uh, yeah. Uh, about as reliably blue exactly exactly uh so no i I think it will probably help but i don't think she needs it i mean i don't once again i don't think it will uh swing a whole lot of votes but it's it's a fun thing for the campaign and it's kind of an exciting thing for new mexico anytime the president comes to visit so uh but i you know i i just don't think joe biden elicits the same emotions either way that donald trump does you know, I, sure. I don't think he could give his candidates the same boost. And I don't think people look at him with the same anger. So, yeah, I just don't think it'll make much difference at all. You, you don't think it's likely to to take her from uh, nine points to 11 points? Well, yeah, I, I guess if you look at it that way, it's it's possible or from nine to seven. I would say it may be possible <laughs> either way. Sure, sure. The task at hand, though, and the task ahead is to work for all of us. What I am saying is you represent the best of us, the very best of us. Your generation is not going to be ignored. You will not be shunned. You will not be silenced. Are you seeing anything regarding uh, the engagement of younger voters? You know, not much. And I I was thinking about this. I I think the, the, the campaigns have probably just given up on them, and rightfully so. The last time I can remember where there was a real huge effort to get out the younger vote, and I'm, I'm, I'm aging myself here, but uh, back in the early days of MTV, they got together. Well, they, I rock, say they got together rock the vote. Democrats. Rock the vote. That's exactly where I was going during the Bill Clinton campaign. And there was this enormous effort, all of the rock stars, and, and they brought in the sports stars, and they just had this enormous campaign effort that went on for months about rock the vote. And, and I think they might have got a three or four percent higher turnout. I mean, it's it's just a tough sell. And it, it um, seems you know, it seems even ahead. harder during uh, during midterms, you know, to really get that engagement. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And and on top of all of that, I think that there has been, you know, a cynicism that has set in, you know, what difference does it make? My vote doesn't count, that kind of thing. 
you know, on top of the fact that they have busy schedules. And to be honest, a lot of them just are not invested yet into the community, into the society. They're they're working on their own lives and they're not really thinking about the community. And I, I know that's um, stereotyping. That's not all of them. But I I, I just think that it, it's always been a very, very a fool's gold kind of thing. Both parties look at those numbers and they say, man, if only we could reach them. But it's 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 a tough deal. It seems like the media echo chamber effect has a much smaller impact when you look at statewide and local races. Would you uh, agree with that? You know, I, I do to an extent, but I would say, like I said before, it seems to me in this election, especially that both parties kind of have their their talking points. And, you know, they were what I said before, crime and, and, and the economy on one side, uh, democracy and reproductive rights on the other side. And, uh, you know, maybe a few tweaks locally. I mean, uh, immigration is, is maybe a bigger issue here than in other states, but it doesn't seem like hugely bigger. Uh, certainly energy development is, is bigger here. But, um, you know, for, for the most part, it seems like the candidates are all sort of talking about the same things. So so you're saying that those echo chamber ideas that happen at the national level trickle down into these state and local races where, where you know, in the same way that all politics is local, right. um, there's also a case to be made that all politics is national. No, that, that's exactly right. And, and I mean, when you look at it, a, a member of Congress has nothing to do with crime in Las Cruces. You know, that's all city council uh, and, and municipal court. And there, there's really nothing that a member of legislature can do about that. But it is such a visceral issue and such an important issue that um, if I can tie my opponent to in any way being sympathetic to criminals, even though we really don't have anything to do with that, that's still going to be, you know, that's still going to work to my benefit. And, and you see that a lot in, in national politics. You see the same thing on schools. If I'm a member of Congress, I really shouldn't have any say at all in terms of what decisions the Las Cruces school board makes. Yeah. And, and, and particularly when it comes to curriculum and things like that. Exactly. And yet you see this this thing about CRT, you know, that starts at the national level and that trickles down and filters down, I think, because everybody's on the same social media sites and they're all kind of drinking from the same trough. Las Cruces is, of of course, uh, you kind of brought this up uh, a little earlier in the El Paso media market. We're the only large city in New Mexico in such a predicament. Uh, what does that mean for the candidates war chests and also with redistricting, it seems like CD2 candidates may have to spend more in uh, the Albuquerque market than they did previously or might have to spend in El Paso. No, I, that's absolutely true. Uh, there's there's no question about that. They've gone from one TV market to two. And, and like I said, if, if I was either of those candidates, I would be focusing on the Albuquerque market because, you know, Gabe Vasquez has been a, a city council member in Las Cruces, the biggest city in the district. So he doesn't need to introduce himself to people here. And Yvette Harrell's the incumbent. And so um, everybody who is in what 
previously was CD2 already knows her. And so they are logically spending their time and money up in Albuquerque. Well, and Albuquerque covers the entire state pretty much except for Doniana County. It really does. We are we are at such a huge disadvantage there. So you um, you get a lot more bang for your buck if you do spend in Albuquerque and Albuquerque's a slightly smaller market than El Paso. Not not enormously, you know, it's five or six or seven markets smaller, I think. Um, so advertising is probably a little cheaper there, too. You know, and, and this works to our disadvantage in so many ways, not just elections, but uh, every year during the state legislature, we, we just get nothing in this market. So, yeah, it's it, it's a tremendous disadvantage to us. I don't know what we do about it's, it. But it's yeah. hard to hard to make the case. Spend more and get less. <laughs> it, is, it really is. I don't know. I, I just find it endlessly fascinating. But then, of course, if you spend your money in in Albuquerque, uh, you also get Durango, Colorado, which uh, isn't very useful. <laughs> so well, I guess that's true. <laughs> so it does have a, a slight downside. Real quickly, let's uh, look at it. I want to get your thoughts on uh, other big races. If you have them, uh, Attorney General, Attorney General, uh, Raul Torres, Jeremy Michael Gay, uh, Mr. Gay, and both of these races you're going to ask about, I'm going to have the same question. Uh, on my I, on the community radio show that I co-host, we invited all of the candidates to come on, and uh, Mr. Gay was one of those who declined our invitation. So I don't know a tremendous about, amount about him and his campaign. Uh, Mr. Torres came on in both the primary and, and the general. So, um, and, and my sense is that that has been – you know, in the past, that's been a safe seat for the Democrats. I'm not I, I don't remember what the last time a Republican held that seat. So. I was I was talking to uh, Gabe Sanchez, who is a political pollster and uh, a political science instructor professor at uh, the University of New Mexico. And he said that only twice in New Mexico's state history yeah. has a Republican uh been elected to attorney general. Yeah. And, and, you know, my general sense is that people are, for the most part, pleased with Hector Balderas, the two term Democrat who will be stepping down. And, and, you know, I just don't get the sense that there's a huge wave uh, demanding change. And uh, what about state auditor? Yeah, kind of the same story. Um, you know, sure. once again, Mr. Mr. Maestas accepted our invitation uh, to come on and speak to us. And, and Mr. Sanchez did not. Um, and, and once again, that that is it seems like that's a race where unless there's some kind of scandal or some kind of reason for a Democratic voter not to, you know, those are races that most voters just don't hear much about and, and typically vote party line on. And, and unless there's some reason, like uh, a few years ago, we had two state treasurers back to back go to jail. And, and that shook up that, <laughs> right, that for, kind of for, that kind of made yeah. people start paying a little more attention to who's exactly. who's handling the money. Yes, that's exactly right. But but it seems like it takes something like that for people to, to cross parties and vote across party lines. And I think I think a lot of people probably don't even have a real clear sense of what a state auditor does. But historically, it has kind of been a political sport springboard to uh, to higher offices. Well, and the truth is that when Tim Keller took over that position, he kind of redefined what the auditor did. 
before him, it was kind of an accounting and green eye eye shade kind of job. And, and he turned it into more of an investigative type of job, which I think was a good change, but it kind of flew under the radar. And I think you're exactly right. As long as there's a sense that they're being even handed in who they're looking into, you know, I think people are happy anytime government corruption gets exposed. Right. It's sometimes it's best if uh, if they don't know your name because it means you're not getting into trouble. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, What about uh, CD1, which is uh, largely the Albuquerque area, although with redistricting that has kind of been shaken up? Yeah, it it has. um, That's a race that, you know, and that Albuquerque Metro has kind of flipped Democratic recently, but Heather Wilson held that seat for several years. Right. Uh, but it seems to me like uh, it seems to me like that's flipped and, and I don't see that changing back over. To me, the more interesting race will be uh, in three. Did they take too many you know, Democrats from that district and move them uh, over to two in, in their in their attempt to flip CD2? Did they endanger CD3? That's really interesting. That'll certainly be a, a fun one to watch on uh, on election night. What are you seeing uh, as far as early and absentee voting? Is there anything there that surprises you? We've we've been seeing these numbers come out. You know, I, not surprising, but encouraging. Um, the The numbers have been strong, not just here, but it looks like across the country. Uh, there were, you know, certainly a number of new state laws, not in New Mexico, but in other states that seemed like they were intended to repress the vote or suppress the vote. And these turnout numbers are encouraging. It, it shows that, uh, you know, people are engaged, people are involved. I, 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 I know that not all share the same level of knowledge. But that's OK. I mean, that's how democracy works. You don't have to be a geek. Any, anybody could uh, voice their opinion. Well, low information voters can vote, too. <laughs> that's exactly right. We don't discriminate. And it it also seems to indicate that, like you alluded to, there that there aren't those barriers to voting that they might encounter in other states. There aren't. The other thing that I think is, is a positive change is we have really gone from voting day to voting season. Uh, you know, I've already voted and I know a lot of people uh, have already voted. And, you know, you, instead of waiting in line for maybe a half hour on voting day, I, I went in and out, got the whole thing done in 10 minutes. And I just think, you know, th- there's this argument that if we make it too easy and too convenient, that will somehow promote cheating. Oh, you've got to show me hard evidence that proves that. I, I, I think making it easier and convenient is a good thing. I don't understand the argument that, well, we want people to sacrifice it. No, no, we don't. We, we you you to have to stand in line for six hours. Uh, and no water. If you get if, water, that's against that's the a, law. Yeah, no pizza, no water. That's a that's crime. exactly right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's good. One, one other interesting aspect about early voting is if you look at the numbers in New Mexico, Democrats are so heavily outperforming Republicans this year. And that was has not always been the case. It used to be that Republicans uh, were the ones to bank those 
early absentee ballots, um, get the early voting in, and uh, and and make sure you've got all those votes banked on election day. Well, and, and I have to wonder how much of that is directly attributable to uh, Donald Trump, who basically told his voters don't trust. Well, he mail in voting. He I don't think he ever said don't vote early. But, uh, you know, put out this sense that anything other than a vote cast on Election Day is somehow supposed to be seen as sketchy or illegitimate. Um, And and I I just think they are putting themselves at an enormous disadvantage if if they adopt that position, because I, I don't think the majority of people agree with them. I think even the majority of Republican voters like it to be easy and convenient nobody wants to wait in line that's true and uh they they don't have a uh democrat line and a republican line they do not so uh it's not like uh the the same rules apply to everyone everyone's waiting in the same long line yeah that's exactly right and um i I think that's a trend that will change I, i i think that republicans will understand the advantages uh, and that they need to compete uh, for early voters and they need to compete for mail-in voters. They can't they can't uh, hope to win without getting that segment of the vote. Sure, sure. It's such a, a large segment. Well, what do you want to add that uh, we we might have overlooked today or haven't talked about? You know, the one thing that I, I just really hope for is that after the election. Well, first of all, I hope that the election goes well. And that there aren't any obvious snags or glitches. There are always going to be some. It's impossible to do this job perfectly. But but I hope that it goes smoothly. And I hope that we I hope that at some point the fever breaks and that we acknowledge that, you know, yes, there are always going to be isolated cases. It's never going to be a perfect system. But that doesn't mean that we can't trust it. That doesn't mean that the whole system is invalid. I mean, we, we need to get back to having faith in the system again. That's what I hope for. I, I, I hope that we can get back to arguing policy. You know, what, what, what should our taxes be? What, what, what should our regulatory policy be? And not arguing about who got cheated. Because I, I just think that's a, a I, I think these I think that's a false argument. I, I think Republican and Democratic election workers all over the country are doing the very best they can. They make mistakes, but they're not cheating. And I think I, I think the fever needs to break. And I think we need to get back to, you know, arguing the issues and not thinking that if the other side wins, it's going to be the end of democracy. Well said. And I, I guess it's also a good time to add that if you happen to be listening to this before Election Day, be sure to get out and vote. Absolutely. Make your voice heard. Thank you so much, Walt, for your time today. Well, thank you, Damien. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporters' stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Walt Rubel for joining us this week. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks to KOB4 in Albuquerque and the Associated Press for some of the extra audio you heard in this week's episode. 
This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all of our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com for all of us at The Sun News. Thank you for the privilege of your time.